of those amazing statements in Scripture, we are saved by faith alone through grace alone. Paul tells us about it in Ephesians chapter 2. Today we focus on sola fide. Join us. Graceful Truth, up next. From Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, this is Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. Welcome to our program. Today we continue with our series on the five solas of the Reformation, looking at those five pillars of the church. One of those pillars can be found here in the idea of faith alone, and just exactly what that means and why it is so important that we stand on one of these pillars as one of the five is up today. Please join us with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. Once again, Pastor Steve Converse. A third reliable evidence of true faith is genuine humility. You see that throughout Scripture. We studied that Thursday night, as Emmanuel said, in our men's, in our men's group. Genuine humility. Fourthly, he goes on and he says, true evidence, evidence of true faith is a devotion to God's glory. A devotion to God's glory. Philippians 1.20, Paul says, My earnest expectation and hope is that I shall not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ shall even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. He was always concerned about the glory of God. Prayer is a fifth reliable indication of true faith. Galatians 4.6 says, Because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit, the spirit of his son, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. See, the heart of a genuine Christian cannot help but cry out to God for help. Now, we don't all pray as much as we should, but we know that we should be. We have a desire to. We always know that that area of our lives should be increasing. A sixth mark of saving faith is selfless love, not just for God, but also for concerning other people. 1 John 2 9 to 10 says, The one who says that he's in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. 1 John three fourteen. We know that we passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. We've been studying 1 John on Wednesday nights. He also says in 1 John chapter 4, he says, Beloved, we know this song, right? Let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. For the one who does not love does not know God, for God is what? Love. Well, seventhly, seventh mark of saving faith, he says, is separation from the world. Remember, we're called to be in the world, but not of the world, right? 1 John, once again, chapter 2, he says, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from, what? The world. Chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, he says, Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And that is the victory that has overcome the world. What? Our faith. And who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So we're separated from the world, even though we're in the world, we're to overcome the world. Eighth is spiritual growth. When you stop and you look at the parable of the soils, you know, that's, that's such a, a good picture of what happens when someone, when they come to Christ genuinely and there's actually fruit in their lives. Soil produces crops. It goes on. Also, one last one, he says, obedient living. 
Obedient living. 1 John chapter 2. By this we know that we have come to know him, know Christ, if we keep, what? His commandments. Now I say all that to say, say this. If you're sitting here this morning and maybe you went through that list and you're like, wow, I've been trusting in a lot of these things that maybe I shouldn't have been. It comes right back to what we're going to look at this morning. Sola fide. By faith alone. All right? Are we justified before God? Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be justified? What is the meaning of justification? We've gone through this before because we've been in Romans. But the word justify means to declare what? Righteous. Right? To declare righteous. It comes from the idea of an early first century courtroom. And as a trial judge drew the trial to a close, the judge... Having heard all the evidence, he would pronounce his victory or his uh, verdict concerning the matter. And when he would justify a person, it meant to declare them as if they were not guilty in the eyes of the law. I mean, when I think of justified, here's what I think of. I think of justified margins. You know, like in a document. Like, I don't know what it is with me and justified margins, but like my sermon notes, they're justified. The margins, everything has to be like, hmm. I mean, when I see a page where it's all off the left, I just, I just, it just causes chaos in my mind. I don't know why. I just like things, you know, that way. Well, what does that mean? A justified margin is one that's what? It's absolutely straight from the top to the bottom on both sides. So the program arranges those words and spaces to make that so. Another thing, just for the sake of the conversation that drives me nuts, is when you have a hyphen at the end of a sentence on a justified margin. Oh, just sends me in the vault. I got to go back. I got to, you know, jump it down to the next paragraph. You know, even if the words are all spread, it doesn't matter. I just, hyphens on me don't, I just don't do well. I don't know what that has to do with what we're talking about, but I just thought I'd share my heart with you this morning, being a little transparent. So in the sense, justify means to make straight that which would be otherwise crooked. See, when you trust Jesus Christ as your savior, the Bible says that God declares you not Guilty of the sin that you've committed. He declares you straight instead of what? Crooked in his eyes. It's an act that God and God alone can perform. Just like those words on a page can't say, hey, I think I'm just going to justify myself. No. The program has to make those words do that. This justification is an act that's performed by God on the basis of Jesus' death on the cross. And it's received by us through this instrumentality of faith. Do you realize that nothing you do and nothing you could ever do contributes or would contribute to your own justification? It's entirely an act of God on the sinner's behalf. The idea that the crooked is declared to be straight and the guilty sinner is now declared righteous in God's eyes. I want to read something from Martin Luther as he contemplated this this doctrine. He says... I greatly long to understand Paul's epistle to the Romans. And nothing stood in the way but that one expression, the justice of God. Because I took it to mean that justice, whereby God is just and deals justly in punishing the unjust. My situation was that although an impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner troubled in conscience and I had no confidence that my merit would assuage him. Therefore, I did not love a just and angry God, but rather hated 
and murmured against him. Yet I clung to the dear Paul and had a great yearning to know what he meant. Night and day I pondered until I saw the connection between the justice of God and the statement, the just shall live by his faith. Then I grasped that the justice of God is that righteousness by which through grace and sincere mercy, God justifies us through faith. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through the open doors into paradise. The whole scripture took on a new meaning. Whereas before the justice of God had filled me with hate, now it became inexpressibly sweet in greater love. The passage of Paul became to me, became to me a gate to heaven. See, this doctrine, sola fide, by faith alone, was Martin Luther's highway to heaven, you might say. The doctrine of justification, it's central to our faith. Because until you understand that, you can't understand the gospel at all. Luther called it the cornerstone of Christianity. It's the doctrine that answers the questions, how can a man be saved? How can a man be made right before a holy God? That's what it means to be justified. Well, secondly, I want us to ponder this morning the impossibility of justification by human works. Because that's generally where we go in our flesh. Okay, I need to make this right between God and me. What can I do? Why is it that good works can't save us? Well, here's five quick answers to that question. First, good works can't save or can't cancel your sin. But sin ruins your good works. I mean... If I had you come over for breakfast and said, hey, I want to make you an omelet. Meet me at 10 o'clock. Okay, great. And you came over to the house and you walked in the house. And it's, oh, like beyond sulfur, like rotten eggs, like just really, really bad. And you say, what are you doing? Well, I'm making you an omelet. Really? What's that I smell? Oh, yes. One of the eggs was bad, but I mixed it with the others. It'd be Okay. I'm sure after we cook it, it'd just be fine. Would you eat that omelet? I don't think so. I wouldn't eat the omelet. Why? Because the, the, the goodness of all 11 eggs can't cancel the rottenness of the one in the dozen. And see, the same is true when we talk about spiritual things. You can't be good enough to cancel out the putrid effect of your own sin. It's not a scale and you just got to do more, do more, do more. It doesn't work that way. Secondly, good works can't save you because God doesn't grade on a curve. He demands what? Absolute perfection. And if you understand the Bible at all, you know that it only takes one sin to send you to hell. One commentator said this, let's suppose that somehow you only committed three sins a day. That's it. Most of us probably commit a lot more than that, but just just three sins a day. That would be over 1,000 sins a year. Which would mean that in 70 years, you would have ended up with over 70,000 sins against you on your record. That's just with three a day. Then he says this. Let's further suppose that those sins were really speeding tickets. If a police officer stopped you for running a red light and discovered that you had 70,000 outstanding speeding tickets on your record, what do you think is going to happen? You're not going to have a good day, right? Instead of get out of the car, hands behind the back, you're thrown in the back of the cruiser, you're off to jail. They'd probably throw away the key. Why do we think God is any different? Because I know we all commit more than three sins a day. (laughs) 
Our sins are so piled mountain high, we can't even climb over it. It's so wide, we can't scurry around it. It's so deep, we can't tunnel through it. See, our sins are so great, beloved, that even our good works can't even compare. Thirdly, good works can't save you because you can never be good enough long enough. (laughs) Yeah, we all have a good streak now and then, right? Go a couple hours maybe. But then you end up confessing some sin. You've got to start all over. It's just God's way of keeping us humble. Fourthly, you can never be sure that you've done enough. How do you know when the good works are enough? See, that's why a lot of religious people, people that are trusting in the religion, they don't really have any assurance of salvation. Because they're just counting on the religious activities to save them. They truly believe that being good will get them to heaven. But being good, doing good... It's never good enough because you can never do enough to pay for your own sins. There's one fifth thing here. Good works can't save you because if they could, you wouldn't need Jesus at all. Think about that one for a second. If good works could save you, what would you need Jesus for? Why would Jesus have to die on the cross if somehow you could save yourself? It's either all by Jesus or all by your own efforts. There's nothing in between. There's no gray area there. So please remember that you know what? You can't. Trust in your own good works. Well, how does this application of alien righteousness, as one commentator put it, apply to us? How are we then saved? It's not by our own good works. Well, how are we going to get to heaven? If it's not by our righteousness, then where are we going to get the righteousness that we need? Well, John Calvin and Martin Luther said that we are saved by the application of of an alien righteousness. An alien righteousness. Now we're not talking UFOs here. We're talking something from another place. That's what he meant. The alien righteousness is a righteousness from another place outside of ourselves. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died for the sins of the world. We are indeed going to heaven on the back of a crucified man. You know what? That's the only way we're going to get there, beloved. And if Jesus can't take us to heaven, guess what? We're not going there. So we better have our faith in the right object. And that's what it means to be saved by righteousness from another place. You have to put all of your trust in Christ. And none of our trust in anything else. And if Jesus isn't enough to save us, we're, we're in a world of hurt. We're in big trouble. Because we're pinning everything we've got on his death and resurrection. Why do you think there's been so many people tried to disprove these things? We aren't saved by works. That's true. We're not saved by our own works, but we are saved by the work of Christ. Don't ever forget that. So we come down to this justification by faith alone. We're justified by faith alone. In Romans 3.24, it tells us that this justification by faith is, first of all, it's based on God's grace. It's based on God's grace. We saw that in in Romans 3.24 as we read through that. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's not based on anything in us. But it's also grounded in the blood of Christ. Romans chapter 5 verse 9. Paul writes this. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. It's grounded in the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. It's not grounded in something we do. Romans 4, 5 tells us that it's not according to our works. It says, into the one who does not work, 
but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So one of the first things you have to do to come to faith in Christ is, you know what? Give up. (laughs) Stop working for it. And the last thing here, it's not according to our works, but it's also through faith alone. And we saw that in Romans 3.28. But sometimes people talk about justification and forgiveness as if they're the same thing. They think, okay, well, justification and forgiveness, I guess it's the same thing. Well, they're not. They do happen at the same time. They are inseparable. No one is forgiven who is not also justified theologically. And no one is justified who is also not forgiven. But they're not the same thing. Here's the way I would define it. Forgiveness is a subtraction of that which is sinful from your record. Forgiveness is a subtraction of that which is sinful from your record. Justification is the addition of that which is righteous to your record. Justification is the addition to that which is righteous to your record. If God gave you a report card on your life without Jesus Christ, what do you think it would look like? Right. It would be covered with black and red marks, right? F, 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 F. God gives the whole human race an F. Fail. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. No, not one. You flunk in every test possible known to mankind. But when you come to Christ, when you come to faith in Christ, when you come to Jesus, what happens to all those Fs? They're, They're washed away. The sins are washed away. But now what grade would God give you? In Christ, would he give you a C? Ah, you're barely passing here. Hang in there. Would he give you a B? You're doing a little better. Not great, but you're okay. The moment your F is washed away, that's forgiveness. God gives you an A. That's justification. Even though you don't deserve it. You get the grade that Christ earned because he finished his course at the top of the class. You don't squeak by with God. You make the honor roll. You're the valedictorian of the class. You go to the head of the class. All your sins are forgiven because you're so good. No. (laughs) Left to yourself, you'd still flunk every class you could. You get an A because you are united with Christ, the Bible says. The same righteousness that once demanded that you get an F now demands that you get an A. You're not half justified and half condemned you're not partially forgiven and partially punished you're altogether forgiven your record is wiped clean you are declared righteous before a holy god you're made straight in the eyes of god that's what justification is all about beloved i explain it this way when i talk to unbelievers and they say oh you're you're in ministry you're a pastor you must be religious and i say no And I always say the difference between religion and Christianity is just boils down to two letters in two words. Religion is spelled with two letters, D-O. Religion is a list of things that whatever religious organization you're under gives you to do in order to be accepted by God. You got to go to church. You got to give money. You got to give the tithe. You got to keep the commandments. You got to say the rosary. You got to be baptized. You got to pray every day. It's endless, but it's do, 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 do. And when you do those things, you kind of feel good about yourself. You pat yourself on the back, even though you're still going to hell. That's what religion is all about. It's man's attempt to appease a holy God through their works. If you want to go to heaven, you're going to do something and keep on doing it. 
And the faith I grew up in, that even wasn't good enough. Then you had to rely on people that came after you to pay enough money to the church. Maybe you'll get out of purgatory and end up in heaven one day. Crazy. Religion is due. Christianity is spelled this way. D-O-N-E. What was done. It's not based upon what you do. It's based upon what Christ was done, has done for you on Calvary. See, if you want to go to heaven, beloved, you don't have to do anything. You just have to trust in what Jesus Christ has already done for you. That's the difference. Do versus done. Either you do it or you believe that Jesus Christ has already done it for you. And we all know that we can't do it. What a glorious thing when we're in Christ. The Apostle Paul in Romans, we went through this text. He exalts his justification before God and he says, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life and is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Romans 8. Stop and ask yourself, will your enemies condemn you? No, because God justified me. What about your friends? Will they condemn you? No, because God justifies me. Will demons condemn me? No, because God justified me. Will Satan himself be able to condemn me? No, because God has already justified me. What if Jesus turns on me? Guess what? He won't. He died for you. That's how much he loves you. He gave up his own life. Will your own sins rise up to condemn you? What sins? Your sins are forgiven by the, by the blood of Christ. Your slate is wiped clean. Will my conscience condemn me? And guilt overwhelm me? Maybe on earth, if you allow it to, but not in heaven. Up there, the record is clear forever. Because we're justified, we're declared righteous before the eyes of God. We're acceptable to God based on the the work of Christ through his death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Last time I checked, I wasn't around when Jesus died and rose from the dead. But I benefit from it. The only faith through The only way to heaven through faith is in Christ Jesus. And sometimes, you know what? We get confused. We have doubts. We do all that. But you know what? God isn't confused. He's not doubtful. He knows exactly what's going on. We need to be reminded that, you know what? Our standing before God in Christ is unalterable. Ask yourself this question. What would I do if God did not justify the ungodly? Where would you go? What would you do? The answer is simply that you would be where Martin Luther was, crawling on your knees, praying desperately to God, sinking ever deeper under the crushing load of unforgiven sin. See, that's what the Reformation is all about. That God does indeed justify the ungodly. And he does it, beloved, by faith alone. I want to ask you this morning, where do you stand with God today? Are you straight with him? Or is your life still one big crooked mess? Have you been justified by faith and faith alone? We sang that little chorus earlier. I need thee. When it comes to our salvation, he's the only one we need. Sola fide is the article upon which the church stands or falls. It's also the doctrine upon which we stand or or fall. If we're standing on anything besides Jesus Christ, we're not really standing at all. But if you rest your full weight upon the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll still be standing when everything else around you is falling apart. 
And this is Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. If you would like to hear the program again or find out more about us, you're welcome to visit our website, gracebibleonline.org. That's gracebibleonline.org. Or give us a call, 650-366-9923. If you'd like to join us for worship at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, Again, visit our website for the details, gracebibleonline.org, or call 650-366-9923. And now, once again, here's Pastor Steve. Thanks, Andy. I have a special announcement for the ladies in our listening audience. We will be hosting a women's expository conference with special speaker Colleen McFadden from the Simeon Trust on Friday and Saturday, May 5th and 6th. This conference will be beneficial for women who teach Bible study, Sunday school, or just enjoy studying God's Word. Colleen is a very gifted teacher who will be sharing with our ladies the importance of expository principles in both Bible study and teaching. Breakfast and lunch will be provided, and there is a registration fee of just $60. The registration form can be downloaded from our website, gracebibleonline.org, and mailed in with your payment. Pre-registration is required and we're encouraging the ladies to register early because seating will be limited. Once again, we will be hosting a women's expository conference with special speaker Colleen McFadden from the Simeon Trust on Friday and Saturday, May 5th and 6th. You can check out our website for all the details and times and download the registration form today. Thank you, Steve. And again, friend, we'd love to hear from you. So call us today, 650-366-9923 or write to us, 2225 Euclid Avenue, Redwood City, 94061 is our zip code. Until next time, God bless. God bless.